Welcome to the Plan Your Central Florida Wedding Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Schmidt, editor of Greater Orlando's top wedding publication, Orange Blossom Bride. I'm sure when you said yes, you had no idea you were jumping on this roller coaster that is wedding planning. The goal of this podcast is to help make the wedding planning process less stressful and a lot more fun. We'll provide you with great tips and ideas, along with expert advice from some of the area's top wedding pros. So let's get started planning your Central Florida wedding. Today we are going to be talking to Kim Tran about a topic that is going to make this whole wedding planning thing a little less stressful. How to save money before and after your wedding. Now Kim Tran is a certified wedding planner and owner of Pearl White Events, which is based in Winter Park, Florida. She created Pearl White Events in 2011 when she saw a need in the wedding and events planning industry to deliver the perfect wedding to couples with an exceptional attention to detail and execution. She loves using her creativity and organizational talents to bring her couple's ideas to life. Kim recently opened a satellite office in the Washington, D.C. area and has launched Pearl White Events Academy, which provides information for couples to plan their wedding through online courses. So welcome, Kim. Thank you, Amanda, for having me. So Kim, I am so excited to have you here today because you're going to discuss a topic that couples desperately need some insight (laughs) on. When you're planning a wedding, I mean, this is probably going to be the largest, most expensive, you know, party that they ever throw. So not only do they not know how to start planning for one, but the bigger question is usually, you know, how are they going to pay for it? Right. Absolutely. You know, this is actually a topic that everyone um, needs to know, but they avoid talking about it. (laughs) And what I mean about that is, when someone gets engaged, they're so excited. They're looking on Pinterest, you know, they're comparing their friends' weddings, they're, they're, you know, writing down their notes or taking photos of inspiration, but no one really knows how much it costs. And, you know, if you do a simple research and, you know, you could find the national average, you know, for a wedding, but is it relevant to where you are? So if you're living in New York, versus Florida, versus California, versus Arkansas, your averages are going to be different. Now, what's more important is that they create a budget allocation for the wedding of their dreams to what they can afford, right? So even though that they may have, you know, um, these this beautiful vision for a ballroom estate, but if their budget simply doesn't allow for it, let's make it realistic so that way they can still have the wedding of their dreams, but they're not paying an arm and a leg and a pinky toe, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's so true because you really, I mean, how many times have you bought a whole bunch of flowers? Like most people don't go out buy bouquets. So it's not like they really know what things cost and they do get sticker shock, understandably so. We in the wedding industry are kind of a little numb to it because we see it all the time, but for them, it is so new. So how do they start saving for this big purchase? Sure. Well, the first conversation I would have is between you and your partner, you really need to realistically do an evaluation about, you know, how much, how much you can try to put in, right? How much cash do you have already on hand that is liquidable to you that you can actually set aside? So that's the first conversation is with your partner. Another conversation that you may uh, consider having it is with your parents. So anyone else who's going to be contributing towards the wedding, 
just to ask them, you know, like maybe we're getting married, you know, is there any way that you can help or is there, would you like to contribute to our wedding? So typically they'll have kind of a set amount. Let's just, uh, for, uh, for the purpose of this example, let's say that um, their parents on both sides, they're contributing 5,000 each, 5,000 for the parents side, for the groom side, 5,000 for the bride side, or from partner A, partner B, 10,000 collectively. And collectively, as a couple, let's say that they were also able to put aside 5,000, right? So that's 15,000 together. Now, I would have a savings account, again, who you want to be able to access this money uh, easily. So instead of having to put it into a vehicle where that money is tied up. Um, so from the time that you get engaged, set up that saving, that joint savings account if you haven't done so already. So you want to be able to put that money into that savings account. And then from here, if let's say that your engagement period is about 13 months, so it's about, a, you know, that's about the average between 13 to 15 months is the average uh, engagement time frame for most couples. If you set aside and if you have, um, you know, with your company, you can actually ask them to set aside 10% of whatever your paycheck is and it just automatically gets drafted into your savings. If you don't have a, you know, a traditional, traditional employer that can do the automatic savings, what you want to do is you want to be able to save at least 10% of whatever pay that you have towards the wedding. Now, you may have more than enough and you may not have enough. This kind of goes back to where what is realistic to your wedding, what is most important that you can be able to afford. So if you know that you have, um, let's say your goal was to save at least $30,000, right? Because about the average wedding cost is about $35,000 for a 150-person wedding. Um, here in Central Florida, you're looking about twenty-eight to about thirty-two up to thirty-five thousand for an average wedding cost here in Central Florida. Now, if you know that you're getting married in thirteen months, then you know that you need at least half of it upfront, right, for deposits and what have you. Once you start booking vendors, so if your average is thirty-five thousand, um, you're looking to save roughly anywhere between what seventeen to eighteen thousand dollars. Now again, you already have that 15 that you've already set aside, five from your um, from partner A uh, parent side, uh, 5,000 from partner B's parent side, and then collectively you and your partner, another 5,000 to 15,000, you need an additional 3,000. So between you and your partner, if you allocate 10% of your paycheck to that, can you meet it? And if you don't, then you may want to consider having some sort of additional stream of income to be able to help pay for those expenses. So typically when you sit down with a wedding planner, they're going to look over your initial budget to see where you stand. So, you know, if you have, if, if you anticipate a wedding of 300 people, a budget of 35,000 may not cut it. Um, now, but if you're expecting about a hundred people, yes, you know, we can definitely, the, the budget of $35,000 is very doable. So it just really depends on what your vision is for the wedding and how you can actually reallocate what's that funding towards what's most important to you. So an automatic percentage into your savings account is going to be the best way because this way you're not spending it on other things. Um, I know that a lot of my clients, what they do is um, if they're randomly shopping, uh, let's say they decided that they wanted to go to Michael's because they're, you know, they were just bored. They're like, okay, we're going to go to Michael's. They go, go across the aisles and they find the cutest things. And they're like, oh my gosh, I have to have this for my wedding. And they just start picking up random items that may not com 
completely match. Now, if you didn't have a wedding savings account that you're actually pulling money from, you're just spending your own personal money, right? And you don't know, it's hard to track how much money you're actually spending on those little knickknacks, those little uh, items that may or may not be used for your wedding. However, if you have one dedicated account, it's a lot easier to track your expenses from there. And then also that automatic percentage saved from your account will um, will keep you in line with what your end goal is. And I love, I love the idea of having a separate account. That is so true with anything in life that you go out and you just see something and you're like, oh, I got to have it. And then when you do, you know, if you do a monthly budget check at the end, just like on your personal finances, you're like, how did I spend that much on you know, eating out or whatever it is, those little expenses really add up. And especially with weddings, because, you know, you see all these cute things. That is definitely a hidden budget cost for sure. Um, Yeah, for sure. Having that savings account, adding different streams of income. Now, would you suggest that they maybe prolong their engagement if they're really not wanting to charge things and build up that savings or because you you had mentioned that they do need to have those deposits up front, which can be a huge chunk, and they'll have to continue to do those payments as the engagement period goes up until the wedding. So should a couple prolong their engagement? Well, I think that ultimately it is up to the couple whether how comfortable or how much they're willing to spend on that wedding. So if if they know that they want their wedding to be a little bit more on the extravagant side, they want to be able to have, you know, invite more family and friends to be able to celebrate with them. Um, and if their finances um, don't align with it, you know, it may be a smart idea to just to hold off on the engagement just a little, or the wedding a little bit longer. So that way you can save for it. You know, um, I think the, the, the best way to look at this is when, uh, it, when you're, let's say, uh, cakes, right? You can bake a cake, right? Um, but then once you start mixing the batter in, you know, you're like, oh, you're so tempted. Like, you're like, okay, I'm just going to lick the, lick the batter, right? And so you take a chunk out of it. But the end goal, you know, you want this cake with the full icing on it. But if you if you prematurely eat all of your batter, <laughs> or if you just put the cake into the oven and then you start eating it before you put the frosting in, I mean, it's true. You still have cake, but it's not everything that you wanted. You don't get your full birthday cake, right? So, I mean, with your wedding, I think that it's important to look at that this day is meant to celebrate you and your partner. You know, it's it's not about like how much money you've spent on it. You know, what kind of flowers did you have on it? Um, you know, what what kind of food did you serve? The coolest DJ, you know, the coolest party favors. It really isn't about that. It really is about sharing a moment in time to celebrate with you and your partner. Simple as that. So you don't have to make it big and extravagant. And I think that a lot of times people get carried away because there's so many outside influences. Again, too, when people uh, get engaged, a lot of times, they the first thing they go on is Instagram. They go on Pinterest. They're looking at all of these different types of inspiration. And of course, anyone can get carried away with the beauty of, of what the event professionals can do for a wedding to transform a space and to be able to deliver that vision to them. But at the end of the day, when the last song is, you know, ends and the lights turn on and everyone leaves, what's left behind is you and your partner. 
So if you're spending money and if it's putting you into debt, then, you know, why do that? Why have that burden? Why start off your relationship on the foot where you put, you had this wonderful wedding, but it put you in so much debt that, you know, for the rest of, well, I can't say the rest of your, your uh, married life, but you're just starting off on that foot where it's a little bit more of a burden, mm-hmm. right? It's a little bit more stressful. So I know some people ask me, well, can I just charge it on my credit card? Cause I get really great points and things like that. It's true. You can. Okay. And, and I'm not opposed to this. Um, I do love credit. You know, I love the, the ability to, uh, let's say, use other people's money, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> In a sense, that's what credit cards are for. You're using other people's money to be able to leverage. Now, if you're able to leverage this somehow to, that this wedding makes you money, I'm all for it. But <laughs> at the same time, when you take a credit card, um, when you apply for a credit card, right, it, um, it will give you a certain balance. And if you spend all of it, well, what is your interest rate? So most interest rates are anywhere between what um, 16 to 21%, I think is about average, or 18 to 21%. If you're on the higher end, you could be at 24, 25%. Um, if, if you are younger, you don't have uh, an established credit. Now, if you have a high percentage uh, interest rate and you're spending, let's say they, they gave you a credit line of $10,000, right? So $10,000, you spent all of it. Your interest rate is at 27 or 24%. I mean, think about that amount of money compoundedly. So every month they're charging you for interest and then it's going to compound on each other. How much money do you need to be able to pay if you're only paying the minimum balance? How long is it going to take you to bring that balance down, right? So you want to be smart about this. That's why it's so important to be able to have this conversation with you and your partner. Talk about that automatic savings plan, um, you know, where it's taking out from your account, putting into a, a set account that's spent just for your wedding. Talk to your parents, see how much they can contribute to you, uh, to the wedding. But then also talk about what's realistic, what's most important to you and your partner so that way you spend your money wisely. You don't want to just spend money just because you're spending money for a wedding. You want to put your money where it's well spent. All wonderful advice. And all that can be determined by just planning, like you said. And of course, you know, I'm pro planner. So working with the wedding planner (laughs) definitely can help you, you know, work that out. If you're having maybe a stalemate between you and your future spouse about what, what to do for the wedding, they can kind of be the middle person as well and get those finances in order. So you can start off on the right foot. All wonderful advice. So what about when the wedding is over? You have this savings account. Do you recommend just shutting it down or can you use it for something else and maybe getting in the habit of having that savings? Yeah, absolutely. So if, if you do things right, (laughs) you know, you, you, you may have some money left over, right? That, that is the end goal is because after the wedding, like I said to after that last song ends, when you turn on the lights at the end of the day, end of the night. It's just you and your partner. You're on the next journey. You're on the next chapter of your lives as, you know, uh, partners forever. (laughs) And so you want to make sure that you're not just spending it frivolously. So if you do have money at the end of everything, right, including let's say that um, at your wedding, you received a lot of gifts, um, monetary gifts. 
um, put that money um, back into an account that's actually going to be able to work for you. Now, what people don't know is that there are so many different ways to be able to make your money work for you. And um, I do have to preface, I am not uh, a, a certified financial planner. I'm not full financial. I am in the financial industry. I am a financial professional but I'm not a full financial planner. So everything that I'm telling you right now, this is based off of general knowledge, okay? So, well, insurance, I could definitely talk to you about because I am a full licensed insurance agent. Um, but in terms of the rest of, you know, for the investments, if I'm going to talk about mutual mm -hmm. funds, um, just know that that is general knowledge. So if you still have money at the end of your wedding, like in your savings account, you can actually look into different types of life insurances. Now, because you know, typically when you're a, a bachelor or bachelorette, it's just you, you, you have no responsibilities, <laughs> right? Um, you know, if, if something were to happen to you, I mean, you, if you have a business, you, you might want to be able to cover your business, but most people, um, they really don't have any beneficiaries to leave behind. However, when you get married, that status changes. You actually have something worth living for, right? And so um, if you, you know, unexpectedly pass away, you want to make sure that your spouse is well taken care of. Because, you know, let's be honest, death is inev inevitable, you know, it can occur at any time. And what we want to make sure is that we're set up properly so that when that time does come, our significant other, our beneficiaries, they're left with a plan, they're left with a, a benefit to them. So that way they can continue on with their lives. Um, especially if you are the 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 sole um, uh, you know breadwinner, or if you make uh, if you're the the person who takes care of making the most of the finances within your home. So what people don't realize is that life insurance is so much more. Um, I think that there's a slight stigma around life insurance because it's almost kind of like an intangible. Uh, product, right? Um, they're putting money aside, but they're not quite sure if they're going to see it. Well, obviously, you yourself, you don't really see it because you won't see it until you die. Well, your family will see it. <laughs> so um, oftentimes, people are like, oh, no, it's a scam. You know, like, you, we don't know if the life insurance is actually going to get paid out. Um, but I will tell you this, insurance companies have to be backed by the amount of money that they insure for their clients. So it is not like a bank. It is way more secure and, and, and highly more regulated than a bank is. So if you think that you put your money into a savings account, into a bank account, your bank can very much close down. Um, there have been several banks before that have been bought out by different, by different banks, and then those banks finally went out of business as well, too. Now, an insurance company, the, the chances of them going bankrupt or going out of business, very, very unlikely. So by, if you are able to reroute your money, whatever is left in that savings account, into like a life insurance, for example, there's one that is called a joint life insurance. Um, and this is typically for um, a married couple. So there's two types. There's one that's called first to die and second to die. And basically what that means is that if you bought a joint life insurance, let's say you bought the second to die, the policy does not pay the death benefit until the last surviving spouse passes away. So this is a great way to be able to plan for like your estate um, because the benefit used here is to be able to minimize or eliminate the burden of estate taxes on their heirs. I know that it sounds like a lot, but there are so many different options to be able to cover for you and again, to for your for yourself. 
Now, another one too is um, there are, let's see, if you have a, um, the, the savings account. And let's say that your main goal is to make sure that you and your spouse have a great retirement, right? Um, because, you know, you're living your life right now too, but you want to be able to save for and make sure that you have money for your retirement, then you might want to put something into an annuity account. And like an annuity is just, think of it as a savings, uh, as a little piggy bank, right? So you put money into that account. And then when you hit um, a certain age, whatever that you want to start withdrawing, that policy will then start paying you monthly. So that way you can live comfortably retired. So if you and your, your spouse, you guys want to go sailing the world out in, I don't know, Bora Bora, who doesn't? Uh, <laughs> you know, you, right. You can, you can do that. But it, what it first starts with is taking that first step. And the best time to do so is when you're young. Right. Because the difference between, um, you know, wealth accumulation between someone starts now, someone who starts a little bit later is time. All the other factors are the same. If you put in the same amount of capital, right, you, you have your taxes are the same. The inflation is the same. The only difference that you have is time and you want time on your side because you can get compounded growth and compounded interest. And so if you and your partner can set this up now, and if you're setting up that, you know, by the age of 65, that you want to both be sailing the seas out in Bora Bora, then I highly recommend that you talk to um, a financial professional to see what options are available out there for you. And some of our couples who listen are listening, they may be, well, you know, we're just planning our wedding, not our life. But your whole point to this is life's about habits. Like once you get in the habit of saving, don't break that habit. You know, you've been saving for your wedding. Right. Absolutely. You, you've been doing it for like a year. Save exactly. For the rest of Keep your it life. going. Now, we had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, Kim, that you have a new Pearl White Events Academy where you go into more detail of these topics to help couples get their budget and their plans all in order. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So um, I do have an online course. It's, um, you know, how to budget your big day. And, and basically, I kind of break down kind of general what we're talking about here before. I do talk about an automatic savings account. And I do talk about different streams of income. Um, I talk about how when you talk to your parents, you know, I think that it's so important just for anyone when they get engaged to understand these, these simple concepts and, and um, because otherwise you get so carried away with the whole planning of your wedding. So in the um, the online course, it's broken down to five easy modules, um, and that way you can go through. And every module has a video of me talking about it beforehand, um, and there is a workbook that accompanies with it too. So you click on the module. I have my introduction, and it goes to the first section, and then there's videos. I explain every section, and it's all, uh, you know, there's fill in the blanks. There's some true and false. There's some, you know, do your own research, but I guide you through the entire step. And by the end of it, I hope that you're able to have a better understanding of how much you should be budgeting and allocating towards your wedding and a better game plan so that when you do talk to a wedding planner or if you don't have a wedding planner and you're just kind of going in, just doing it on your own, at least you have that number. This is how much we are comfortable and how much we can spend on our wedding. Wonderful. Thank you so very much for spending time with us today. Thank you, Amanda, for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Plan Your Central Florida Wedding Podcast. 
For more Orlando wedding inspiration and tips, head on over to orangeblossombride.com. And if you're looking for amazing wedding pros to help bring your wedding day together, make sure to check out our wedding vendor directory. Until next time, happy planning.